0: Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the world's leading podcast for injectors and cosmetic businesses. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, an aesthetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and an aesthetic business mentor. Each episode of IA showcases unfiltered conversations with guests from around the world. In a sometimes disjointed industry, IA aims to help educate and connect our global community to raise the bar for both our businesses and our patients. To further support and educate
1: our listeners, we offer a range of additional resources under our IA Patreon subscription service. This caters for injectors and business owners of all levels and includes interactive live Zoom sessions, webinars, hints and tip videos, private chat groups, and exciting future content to come. To subscribe to IA Patreon, head to wwwinsideaestheticscom forward slash Patreon or click the link in our podcast description. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation.
0: We're back again We're in back. the studio with... Should we call her Jubilant Julie? I don't know. We had a so few names in our last episode with Julie. <laughs> 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 but welcome back, Julie. Nice to see you again. Uh, today we are going to do one of our dis- disasters and solutions uh, podcasts, which I think we planned originally to do more. But you know, some of these uh, disasters are less frequent. Yeah,
1: and, and not and not everyone's willing to talk
0: about them. exactly. Too. That's half the problem. Not mm. everyone's willing to talk. So we've got. Um, a master of disaster in, <laughs> in,
2: oh, in, in no. our studio today
0: in a good way, because you handled the disaster. And it wasn't, you know, you weren't in the injector, but we're going to get into all of that. But this is chapter three of d- disasters and solutions. And what we really tried to do with these ones, if it wasn't clear, is we're not trying to judge injectors. We all have complications. I've had occlusions, Julie's had occlusions, David's managed occlusions from mm. injectors would work for him. They they are to some extent unavoidable, but if we can learn some I don't know, golden nuggets or pearls of wisdom from what uh, Julie has to tell us. Maybe we can mitigate that problem and reduce the probability. Yeah. So that's the point of these ones. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got to share to learn. Got to share to learn. So okay. Julie, welcome again. How How's your week been? Because it's been a few weeks since we've spoken to you.
3: <laughs> Brilliant.
0: Brilliant. Yep. Okay, it's been, perfect. It's
3: been busy, but uh, everything's great.
0: Excellent. Perfect. Yeah. So... This story was around on your Instagram. Uh, time is flying. I think about a month or six weeks ago. I can't remember exactly when when it was doing the rounds, but everyone was June June fourteenth. Oh Jesus Christ! Okay, time's really flying.
3: <laughs> you also also remember the dates of your own disasters. Yeah. You know? Okay. Fair. It's funny. Yeah. Um,
0: but yeah, to yeah. give the listeners context, who haven't come across it, um, there was an injector in your clinic treating a lovely patient. I think it was chin filler and, um, she suffered an interesting occlusion. So why don't you tell us more just about the background of, um, you know, what happened that day? Who was the patient? What was the plan? You know, what was, what was the backstory?
2: So the
3: backstory is, is that, um, one of our newer injectors on our team, I've been injecting for, uh, about a year. Uh, we, on the last podcast, we talked about, uh, somebody who, um, is one of those people that pick it up. That's passionate to pick it up fast. She's one of those injectors, right? She's a sponge and she's talented. Uh, so she, um, you know, I taught her how to inject. She's been to several of my workshops, um, really wonderful injectors. So she decided to record, um, uh, the, uh, the chin, uh, injection and show me when I got back uh, because I've seen her do chins before. She did great. So she recorded it. She had somebody record it and also she recorded an ultrasound uh, of the chin before as well. So she had two recordings before uh, it happened Uh, and you know, it's kind of cool because how many disasters do you have that, that you can actually look at the video and see it happen. And, you know, I, I, I was in Japan uh, visiting my granddaughter and of course, you know, 16 hours ahead of time. So when it happened, I was asleep. Uh, it happened, you know, in the early mornings of um, in Redding, California and in Japan, it, it was the middle of the night. So when I woke up, I had several messages from my office team saying, um, "You need please call us right away as soon as you wake up. And I called them. Uh, And they said, we got a a vascular adverse event that's a bad one. Mm. And I was like, oh, no. And um, they sent me pictures. And this poor patient stuck out her tongue. And and half of it was white. Half of it was pink.
0: Before you go into the meat of it, what what was the purpose of the injection? Why was even the patient there? How many meals were used? What was, what was the expectation of the treatment?
3: So the patient um, has seen us before with previous uh, lip fillers and uh, this injector did a really good job at, uh, with her lips and she uh, came in and got a consultation and her chin was a little bit wide, um, a little bit masculine. So they were just going to put some in the center of her chin to feminize it and bring it down a little bit, feminize the chin and kind of frame her lips a little better. Uh, And uh, so, uh, you know, the assessment was great. Uh, The patient really, you know, would it look good? I, I didn't see that because by the time I saw her, she was high Linux, but I'm sure it looked
2: good <laughs> <laughs>
3: except for that half of her tongue was white. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So it was just a routine. Oh, I love what you did with my lips. Let's, let's do my chin next. And she had, did have a history of a little mini facelift, but other than that, no, no surgeries, Uh non-smoker, which is helpful.
1: How old was the patient?
3: Uh, thirties. her 30s and presumably
0: she'd um you know she'd had her lips done already so she was consented for you know filler and and presumably complications etc so how do you guys run it in your clinic uh is it a paper form is it digital form do you do it every time you you do a new filler like I, I think this varies state to state and country to country and to be honest practitioner by practitioner so how do you guys run the consenting
2: so yeah we
3: we have them um, signed two consents so we talk about all the things that could happen on label off label um what fillers cannot be reversed and um, we're just straight up with them tell them it's rare um but, but that, you know, I'm just so straight up, I'll say, hey, look, in my career, I've, I've caused um, these types of adverse events um, five times um, in 25 years of injecting. I have had, I've seen it five times um, with my own hands. Uh, and I've seen hundreds, prob- maybe even more than hundreds, but um, throughout my career um, with other injectors. So it happens, but it is fairly rare. Um, so you know, I think we need to, to be real straight with everybody.
2: Yeah.
0: Do, do you find that, um, newer injectors either employed by you or those who you train, that they, they struggle with that consent process because they're worried of scaring people off and then, you know, it's, it's obviously not good, but that they, they sort of dance around the subject. Have you found that?
3: Yeah, I do. I do. In fact, so, you know, I, I, assist, um, the nurses in my, in my office and I'll assist them and I'll, and I'll say, um, yeah, but we haven't talked about, adverse events yet you know (laughs) like a nudge them because i it should be something that never gets forgotten about uh and i think maybe they're just nervous because i'm sitting right in the room with them but but i don't ever want that to be forgotten
2: Mm. and
1: is that something that you go over every single time you do a treatment with the patient even if they've been Um, with you before
3: yeah
2: okay
3: yeah if if they already know i'll go yeah uh, you know you know what this is, you know, how it works. We've done this before, but do you have any questions about any adverse events mm-hmm. that we've just discussed before? Yeah. Okay, um, Because maybe they learned from the time they saw me, they learned something else and they they're curious about, it. or maybe they heard misinformation uh, and, and it, it's an opportunity for us to uh, check their knowledge um, deficit and ask if there's anything that we can add to that. So I, I do try to bring it up every single time.
0: Yeah, it's actually really important. You know, our patients are Googling, they're on Instagram, they see stuff, they read stuff, and it gets confused. And, you know, as much as they'll sit there and go, yeah, 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 I I know what we're doing, I I think it's just so important to just be like, look, here's the boring two-minute spiel again. I do need to tell you these things because it's it's the law but it's also your face it's your you're the one who's going to suffer you know if this happens so let's just be clear what we're doing here and then you know you can move past that but I i just think it's really important to highlight um so your patient had some chin filler what volume was put in and what technique was done
3: um so she ultrasounded it first and recorded the ultrasound um so i could see where it was placed and what the screen looked like uh and then she, um, and then she proceeded to go in the central chin to feminize her chin and make it more narrow. Uh, and she did. She did everything the way I taught her. So you know, I couldn't pick anything out. She aspirated. She planted with stabilized her hand. Used a ring aspirator, um, and and really did a beautiful job with technique. Slow, even, steady pushes. Um, you know, she did everything right. It was uh, Jupiter um, uh, Deluxe. So, uh, you know, the product was appropriate. The technique was appropriate. Uh, sure, she just did everything right except for the ultrasound exam. The ultrasound was um, read wrong. Um, and The ultrasound in our office is new to everybody else. Um, It's all very new to them. We had a trainer come and train when we first bought it, but she wasn't there that day. That day that the trainer came, she was um, uh, at her other job. So she's one of those people that has a lot of gumption, but she has another job, right? Um, so it's harder. That's another reason to hire somebody who's only dedicated to your office because a lot of times trainings and events, um, that not everybody can come to cause there are other obligations. So anyway, she's the only one that didn't get trained on the ultrasound, how to read it, how to do it. She, so she it looked on the screen to her, like, like that artery that she saw that was huge and pulsing a big, big red stop sign. It looked to her like it was over here. But in reality, it was in the middle right here, a huge hole. There was a huge hole uh, in the bone in the middle with a big blood vessel coming right out of it in the middle. Um, I sort of was armchair quarterback because I, I got the videos. I already knew that the tongue is going to be half necrosed. Uh, so or half obliterated with the, with the filler. So, going back and looking at the video, I went, Oh no. Oh no. She read it wrong because it's supposed to be straight up and down. Um, I mean, sorry, it's, she, she put it straight up and down. Um, and she read it from left to right and thought it was to the left and right. It's hard to explain without showing you a visual.
0: I I totally understand
3: that. So the orientation of the probe was, was confusing to her because the screen always has the top of the probe to the left and the bottom of the probe to the right.
2: Yeah, and and that's so a-
3: when her probe was up and down it looked like it was over there to the left of her probe, right?
0: I was going to say that's a quirk of ultrasound that I still sometimes have to sort of reset my brain as I'm looking at it because you're right, it's a, it's a convention of what the screen shows you versus where your little marker on your probe is. And until you can sort of uh, unscramble that it's very difficult to understand. And for those listening, I don't know if we can do this, Julian. I don't know if we have your patient's consent, let alone your consent. Maybe we could use those videos on our Patreon to show people what we're talking about. So we, we can maybe discuss that. Yeah, online. She
3: gave full consent for education.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. So
3: absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Can Can yeah.
1: you just explain what this quirk is? Cause I don't know what you're talking about. Can you just explain so, to people that don't use ultrasound yet? When
0: you have an ultrasound probe, uh, it, obviously, you can hold it vertically or horizontally. Yeah. But either way, there's a marker on one side of the probe to tell you what 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 the convention should be to put it on the face. So it should always that that little marker should either be on the left or facing up. Right. It should never be to the right or down. Otherwise, right. it's going to on your screen. It's going to be the upside down, basically. Right. Or, or or the wrong way around. So when you have that convention, when you put, put the probe on the face, when you look at the screen you should always be able to orientate yourself because you'll know where that marker is. But yeah, it's getting a bit tricky to, to explain. <laughs> Essentially it's just uh, uh, understanding what you're reading can be difficult. Yeah.
1: So I'm going to ask a, a curly question, just like your hair, Julie. Um,
2: <laughs> awesome.
1: do, do you think that, Because she didn't have that training and she used the ultrasound incorrectly and almost had a false sense of security because she was looking at something that she thought was accurate but in fact wasn't, that she did something that if she didn't have the benefit of an ultrasound there and was just doing a chin treatment as has normally been done before ultrasound came into the equation, that it almost put her in a disadvantaged position because she was using technology incorrectly that made her do something she would not have ordinarily done without an ultrasound.
3: Well, that's a fair question, yeah. um, but I have to say unequivocally, no. Okay. Um, first of all, everybody who trains with me has never has a false sense of uh, <laughs> bravado. I scare the crap out of everybody I train. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, absolutely not, because um, it's kind of like universal precautions. It, you're, I, I teach them to always be careful, always be slow, um, always aspirate and, and do everything uh, because you never know, right? So it's not like she just went in um, with needles blazing and just haphazardly mm-hmm. throwing gel all over the place. No, she went slow. She aspirated. She um, took her time. Uh, she did everything right. So, no, she, it would have, if she didn't have ultrasound, she would have done the exact same procedure, right? Uh, the exact same because she took every precaution. Knowing what I know now, Um, I think her positive, her, her false negative aspiration was because the needle literally was in um, the foramen. It was blocked um, by the the bone. Uh, And when I watched the video, you know, normally there's a little tiny bubble. um, When you aspirate in the hub of your needle, you'll see that bubble. um, And as she was looking, she saw negative aspirations, but there's one time when she's still there in the middle, right? Where that, um, that brahmin was one time where the, the bubble went straight up the edge of the syringe of the syringe wall. You can see this line of air coming up the syringe wall rather than staying in the, the, the little hub. Mm. So I think that is the injection that did it. Uh, the patient didn't feel any pain. Um, she just let her finish. Uh, and, but I think that's the one that did it. And she only put little aliquots of 0.1 to 0.2. So it wasn't a lot of product mm. at all. Um, you know, going back and critiquing arms, like I said, armchair quarterback, um, she didn't have, I, I like a fresh needle after every single poke. Uh, and you know, yeah, the needle could have been changed more often because I don't ever want to go in with a fish hook. I like it to be a fresh needle after it touches the bone, it becomes a fish hook.
2: Mm.
3: So, um, but other than not changing the needle every time it touches the bone, I have no. No um, criticism at all. Um, I wouldn't have done anything better myself. So I don't think that's true. But I think knowing how to use uh, an ultrasound can be a huge advantage. I know that if she understood how to hold the probe and how to read it uh, at that moment, um, she would not have put her needle in the middle of that chin. Yeah. Yeah. She would have reached for a cannula or just said, hey, you're not a candidate. There's this variant of anatomy um, and you have this variant of anatomy, which makes your chin unsafe for a median bolus.
1: Right. So she had unusual anatomy. So you wouldn't expect to find that landmark, that sort of vessel there.
0: Well, look, you know, we are... Well, we have traditionally been taught there's nothing in the midline, go for gold. It's fine. Do a <laughs> yeah. massive bolus in the middle. And, you know, just like. Well, with the- I,
3: got a, I got a nice person to introduce you to if yeah. you think that's true. Uh, right? Yeah.
0: I mean, look, but like with all of these things, if you scan enough faces, you'll see every variant. And mm. so there aren't any yeah. real rules. I mean, there's, there's a couple of, you know, quite um, consistent things, but it's, it's hard to have a rule in a face because we're also diverse, right. And genetically, ethnically, age wise, Uh, And surgically, things change as well. So I just think it's good to have some principles of anatomy. And I know you're hot on anatomy, Julie, but, you know, the ultrasound adds an extra layer. But, of course, you want to be trained in that. But going back to your curly question, had she not had the ultrasound, she still would have done the same thing, go down on the midline, aspirate, do small boluses and move her needle occasionally. So I don't think it changed the outcome. Right. Okay. Um, It just maybe gave her false reassurance that there probably wouldn't be a problem Mm. um yeah yeah
3: yeah and trust me when i got back from japan we all got together at my training center and we had a weekend long uh, ultrasound course together (laughs) i'm like hey everybody needs to have hands on i want to see you do it i want to see you do it and they just picked it up so quickly and they they got it brilliant. But I think it's one of those things. If you have a handheld ultrasound, take it home, mm. you know, check it out from your office and practice on your children, your husband, um, especially children. Cause they don't have filler in their faces, uh, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's just something you just have to do enough times. Like you said, it's like a video game. It's, it's just hand-eye coordination. It, the top the little nubbin as Danny sher calls it. The nubbin is either from 12 o'clock to nine o'clock and just know these little things and play with it. So it's, it. you don't have to think about it.
0: Well, how amazing that it was recorded as well. I mean, what a learning opportunity for all of us to sort of see it happen as it happened. Um, I, I I'm speaking with, in fact, Shafi Ahmed, who we mm. had on the podcast yeah. many, many, many years ago. Um, Shafi was my old consultant. He's a colorectal surgeon by training, but he's now also gone into sort of medical technology and virtual reality and augmented reality. And um, I've actually just hooked him up with Alleghan to see yeah. if they have some synergy. But yeah. I imagine a day, one day, where we we'll all wear a lens or just some glasses that record everything. So not only uh, do we have yeah. a record of just what we're doing for legal purposes, but we can also stream that and teach thousands or millions of people. Why should we have five people crammed around a bed like, you know, the old medic, uh, sort of the old um, operating theatres where you're sort of, you know, trying to look over um, the, the surgeon? It shouldn't be that way. It should be looking from the surgeon or the injector's point of view. So that's my goal to try and make training and teaching, well, take it that way. And I think you know that that's just a small window of what of the opportunity of what it could do. Um, so, how was your injector feeling as all this happened? What what, what was she saying? Because and in fact, why did they even look in the patient's mouth? It's not it it should be done, but many injectors don't do it. So, when did they notice the tongue had gone half white?
3: So uh, I'm really proud of her. Uh, she she handled it so well and so immediately, but. Uh, she got done with the chin. She put a whole mill in the area, um, uh, one CC of, uh, 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 and then, and she was going to sh- hand her the mirror and she was like, Hey, uh, what do you think? How does it feel? And she goes, she goes, Oh, I love it. She goes, but, but my tongue feels numb. And she said, let, let me see, open your mouth. And then she saw, uh, that Harlequin tongue, you know? Uh, and, you know, I said, I said, or hey, so when you saw that white tongue, did your brown underwear get brown?
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know? Touching cloth. Yeah, not good. And, uh,
3: she goes, yes. More than
0: touching cloth.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
3: It freaked me out. It freaked me out. And I said, so what did you do? And she said, I calmly said, okay, so uh, remember what we talked about with vascular um adverse events, um, I think that's what's going on with you. Uh, I think we block some blood flow to your tongue. It's white, so I'm gonna go get help and I'll be right back. And she went out and she called the code and, and everybody in our office um, stuck what they're doing and came in and helped and, and ran our protocol. Uh, which by the way, I, I, I think we should all run drills in our office for both blindness and um, vascular compromise. Uh, So, so everybody knew what to do. Everybody just got right on it. Um, I had nurses that were um, off that day that came in to help and assist her. So pretty much everybody in our office got hands on um, to help out. It was all hands on deck. Uh, And I clocked 15 hours on FaceTime and three days, um, you know, from Japan, um, you know, guiding them and helping them um, do our protocol. But they did it. They, I, ha- I had nothing to do with it other than just um, being virtually there. Uh, but I'm really proud of my team. This is the first one they've ever managed on their own. And um, I couldn't be more proud.
0: Well, let's talk about that. So how, how do you – what is your protocol? What, what happens? What, what's everyone's role? And, um, and how often do you do the rehearsals?
3: So, yeah, so the rehearsals, I'd like it to happen – every quarter, but really realistically about to, to a year. Um, but uh, I think that acting it because your staff might change, um, you know, things like that, but everybody has a role from the person who answers the phone to the uh, practice manager. Uh, she's the person who's going to go scrounging for more hyaluronidase because there may not be enough. Right. Uh, my, my protocol starts with prevention, um, but the real meat and potatoes is the diagnosis, uh, to, to know it. And like you said earlier that the little spidey senses you get as an experienced injector, um, uh, knowing when it's something's not right. Uh, and so we, we talk a lot about, and I train a lot about diagnosis and then, um, getting that, uh, early treatment so they don't go home with this problem. Uh, and that they know when to call if they do go home with a problem, right? If it's a delayed uh, response or an undetected uh, response that you can't tell. Um, so I, I think we don't talk about um, diagnosis uh, or prevention enough, but she did it. She, you know, she did all the the key things for prevention and she diagnosed it right on the table, which is great. And uh Ran the protocol. It's getting the ma in there for pictures. Um, you want to take a picture right away. Uh, she had help of somebody drawing up hyaluronidase um, and plain lidocaine. So the protocol in our practice is: you take a cannula and one mil syringe and put um, put plain lidocaine in the area. Uh, so that will vasodilate and make it easier for your. For your uh, hyaluronidase to get inside the lumen of the blood vessel, Uh, so while I was sleeping, they did all this on their own without my direction. Um, They they did all that. They tried to get in the lumen of where they were in the midline. Um, They got they reported they got several flashes of red in the area, Uh, and they thought they really thought it was the ascending submental. So they were coming in here and and pushing it. In, I know you can't see me on the podcast, but they are pushing it um, in the ascending submental most of all. Uh, I would say try the scene of the crime first. You know, which would have been the midline um, foramen that that we didn't know that it existed. Uh, but that's why ultrasound's great when you're running a vascular occlusion. You can see the quiet areas. You could see. Um, perhaps a foramen that shouldn't be there, uh, but anyway. Uh, so they did all that. They every 20 minutes or so, uh, you repeat, and in between, you're going to do heat packs, massage, um, Pronox uh, to calm the patient down, and maybe vasodilate a little more. Uh, and it helps with anxiety too, because it's got to be scary for them, you know, and you know it is. Um, let's see, what else am I missing? Um, so repeat, repeat. And in the case of this tongue, before I woke up, uh, somebody was out there doing research to look for a paper on tongue necrosis. Uh, they found one where it talked about injecting underneath the tongue with the floor of the mouth. Uh, so they put a little bit there. Um, and then when they woke up, I said, um, you know, let's do some strips into the tongue itself, you know, um, post vertical, strips of hyaluronidase into the tongue itself uh, and try to cannulate the facial artery because that might be connected um, in the sub, you know, the submental area.
0: I was going to say there's tons to unpack there. <laughs> there's so much. Um, first of all, uh, what was the patient saying? Because she sat there with half a white tongue, a bit numb, she's already been told this scary thing might happen is probably happening. So I've seen the video. She looks remarkably calm and she's p- pretty compliant. You,
3: pronox. Yeah. Uh,
0: so, so I mean, joking <laughs> aside, do you, I mean, we most clinics don't have um, nitric, o- nitric oxide in their clinics, but, you know, some do. Did, did you find it a, a valuable help? You, you felt like it kept her calmer? Yeah.
3: Oh, absolutely. But I got to say before she got the Pronox, um, by all accounts, she was um super cool. Mm. She was like, Oh yeah, yeah, do what you gotta do. I trust you. She was really cool the whole time, honestly. Mm. And I think but you're not gonna get that every time. Uh, but this patient is just a really, really mellow person. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think she was very scared at all. Um, but she probably, you know, later, later when it kind of dawned on her, she was just like, Oh, Wait, I could lose half my tongue. Um, am I going to talk funny? How's this going to affect my eating, my swallowing? You know, um, and I and I told her, hey, look, um, Doctor Kaplan is right next to me. He's here. You know, he, and he talked to her too. And I said he used to remove tum- tumors out of tongues, and these patients do just fine. Um, you know, he's removed people half of their tongue many times, and. Um but we're but we're our goal is to not let that happen. Yeah. This is why we're gonna put a lot of the enzyme into your your lumen of your arteries and, and into your tongue and try to clear this um in the next three days. And we have three days to make this right. Yeah. So um just stick with us for three days. And that calmed her down a lot. And she told me later. Hearing um, what my husband said and what I said about we have three days um, helped her sleep at night, you know. And you got to remember, unless it's blindness and ocular issue, you have three days. Um, it's better to start on day one, of course. But but I, I think it's good for the patient to hear it's urgent and not emergent, mm. unless of course it's vision.
2: Mm. Yeah,
1: that's a good point. And so, the, so the pa- so what was happening? The patient was in your clinic all day for those three days and coming back in the morning or like what was, what was happening there?
3: Yeah. She'd come in, um, whenever she could, like probably like the afternoon because by the time I woke up, um, you know, it, it wasn't good. But if she came in the morning, I would just set my, um, alarm clock, um, on my phone to be one in the morning. Right. Um, so I'd wake up and go out into the living room. So I didn't wake up my, my son and my husband and, um, be on
2: FaceTime, (laughs) you know,
3: at one in the morning. Um, but I I just followed her for longer than three days. I followed her the whole time I was in Japan. Um, and when it got out of the urgency, like when I knew we got it and I knew that the danger was over, um, that was pretty much day two. Um, by day three, uh, she just had a little pain reading, um, along her jawline and, and in her ear her ear hurt, her jawline hurt. So um, interestingly, uh, she was up in Southern Oregon doing hyperbaric oxygen uh, because we ordered that for her. And one of my colleagues that works here in um, Southern Oregon met her at my studio and put uh, another vial in her tongue, you know, with um, Dr. Weiner's little strips Mm. uh, technique. And she said that immediately cleared her ear pain and her jaw pain just the little strips in her tongue. Um, and so that was like the last blow for freedom. And that was day three. Uh, so it, it, it all it took a village. Honestly, it took my team plus uh, Kathy Love, um, a PA here in Ashland, Oregon. Um, so shout out to her. And, you know, don't be don't be embarrassed. If you need help, people are going to be there for you. You know, it's such a great community. But mm. I, I'm so grateful, Kathy. And so is the patient, yeah. Because she she just rid her pain just with one more vial in the tongue.
1: So did you visually see some sort of blood flow restore? Like, how were you seeing what was working? I mean, obviously the patient's letting you know that the pain's reducing and maybe the color's changing in the tongue. But was there anything that you were looking at through the ultrasound to give you a definitive indication that things were resolving?
3: Yeah. um, First of all, the hyaluronidase in the United States is only 150 units per mil. You you all have like 1,500, so 10 times more than we have. Um, So when I say we use 55 vials, and that's what we ended up using on her, 55 vials, Um, that's still... Not as much years, as the published cases.
0: Yeah, like um, f- five the published of- cases
3: were way more. So with, with less than the published cases, we were able to reverse it, and I'm proud of that with my team. Um, so uh, visually what I could see uh, happen, the, from the first time I woke up and started helping, uh, I was the tongue was already looking um, less white and had pink kind of starting to show through a little bit. Uh, And each time we did a session of three vials or uh, 450 international units, uh, we would have her open her uh, mouth and look at the color. And the color just kept getting more and more pink, less and less um, white and blue. Um, So we were going by that. The patient had very little pain. It was mostly um, numbness at the time. But, you know, for the first couple of days, the pain kind of uh, settled in later for her. But visual changes, there's, you know, there's really not, it's hard to do capillary refill on the tongue, but we were trying. Uh, There there was no skin changes at all. Her chin never got blanched, um, which is another sign that that you got something um, occluded within, you know, the blood vessel. Um, and when it's distant like that, it's a blood vessel. Um, it's not compression or anything like that. So it was pretty obvious to to us that it was um, inter, uh embolism.
0: I just did some math. So 55 uh, vials of Hyalinex is about 8,250 Hyalase. So like, you know, 8, um, in fact, no, divided by 1,500, Yeah, five and a half vials. So it's not a crazy amount for for a significant occlusion, but I've got a theory. When I came to AMWC Miami this year, I I did a very brief talk on facial dissolving and and, and filler dissolving, and I'd sort of dangled the question. I didn't answer the question. I dangled the question to the um, audience that I'm not fully sure if Hyalinex and Hyalinex are even the same thing because they're made from a different product.
3: they're not. no.
0: And so mm-hmm. when we sort of One's talk- an
3: animal source, one's a human recombinant.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, in fact, I, well, I thought that Hylanex was from um, ovarian hamster sort of recombinant uh, DNA. That's what I read because we don't use it here. So that's what I read.
3: Well, we have Vitrace and Hyalinex. Those are the two that we have. Um, Hyalinex uh, has a human source and Vitrace is ovine um, sheep testicles, actually. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, you know, if you have a, a choice, you know, we only have a choice of two um, that are commercially available here. So with, with the two, I choose Hylinux because it's um, less chance of um, anaphylaxis yeah. because it's not um, doesn't have the um, sheep component or the animal component. And I believe yours is also um, sheep, isn't Correct.
0: it? Correct. Yeah, that's right. Well, most most of the world, including Australia. But I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we're sitting here sort of trying to interchange and convert units, but I don't even know if that's true whether we can actually think of it that way i don't know someone needs to do a study um <laughs> yeah yeah maybe when want to come to the states yeah. so i'll bring some highlights and we'll play with some gel in a petri dish and see what happens that'll be fun
3: sure yeah. yeah compare and you're gonna win because it's you know yours is stronger 10 times stronger apparently i don't know i, uh, I really don't the know I use are, yeah know, i'm not sure i don't know if they measure it with different companies like the toxin companies do you know i don't mm. know i don't know the you know, yeah, I don't know if we can compare.
0: Um, you, you mentioned in your uh story that you know sometimes you have to go out and scrounge for hyalase from other clinics if you don't have enough. So, what, what do you recommend that you have in stock and what's reasonable? Because you know, you don't know until you have a disaster.
3: Like, I'm paranoid, I, I we keep 50 on hand. Mm-hmm. Um, that way, if you go through a lot of it, a lot of reversals that week, you at least have 30 there, uh, reserved. Um, but I try to have 50 as the round number, um, to have, uh, and we also loan out to anybody who needs it in our area. Um, I feel like we, you know, I just want to be that person to always um, do the right thing. Hmm. So 50 is a, where I'm comfortable personally. Um, I've 55 is the most I've used, um, one case I helped with here in Ashland, I used 52. Uh, and we, it was a huge, it took over uh, her whole half of her face and her entire nose and her lips. And it was from a pure form aperture. And and I used 52. I thought that was a lot, but, but when they don't have any necrosis or any bad things after all that happens, it makes you feel like, okay, that was worth it. Mm -hmm. You know? to use all those. And like you said, it's not that much in the big scheme of things. Um, But yeah, I, I, I really think it can be hard in some communities to scrounge, um, to ask because, you know, we, that's our practice manager's job. And she'll come back in and go, so Dr. So-and-so has two. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, This other place has three. So now we have five. Um, And that's five that's four more than we got the last time we needed help yeah. um last time we needed help that first day we got one expired vitrace, which you know and um and of course since i'm a nurse practitioner i had to get on the phone and um my husband i had to get my husband on the phone too because he's the doctor he wants to talk, the, talk to the doctor first and i know this guy and i'm like oh Oh my God! Are you kidding me?
2: Yeah.
3: Um, okay. Yeah, you can talk to my husband, the doctor, and and then it was expired. Uh, so, I'm like,
1: <laughs> thanks, guy. Oh yeah. yeah. So
3: that's why I have fifty. I, I can't rely on other people to to come through. Um, you know, and just in case you don't know this, uh, a lot of um, oncology wards at the hospital ha- use it for as a dispersal agent for some of the um, the the medications for cancer. So uh, that's one place you can go and ask if you know somebody who works in oncology um, in your, in your local hospital. Um, I don't. So I just, uh, but anyway, we had enough. It was fine.
0: How much is a vial of um, Hylinex in the States? I'm just curious for you guys to buy.
3: A lot. Um, <laughs> mm. it, it ranges really, um, you know, how prices go up and down with supply and demand, um, anywhere between a hundred dollars a vial to 150. Right. Um. And so, you know, if it was 150, how much did I spend? Yeah, that's on a lot. Uh, you got your calculator.
0: Yeah, that's. Uh, I am not talented. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh,
3: Five thousand. If it was a hundred, right? Um. So seven seventy-five hundred. If it was, hey, that's pretty good. Seventy-five hundred. If it was one hundred and fifty. Um. So I don't know, but it was worth it. Saved her tongue. Okay? Yeah. She didn't. She didn't lose <clears throat> her tongue. So. I think it's a small price to pay. Also yeah. the hyperbaric and the EO2 dressings, if you, yeah. if you have a skin one, are are worth it. Really, really worth it.
1: We've been trying to get in contact with those EO2 people to talk about their product and they just don't rant, don't don't answer my emails. They, so.
3: they did it? No. Maybe they don't know you're legit.
1: Yeah, maybe yeah. not. You need <laughs> yeah. to let them know because it's an interesting product. Those so, dodgy
0: guys from inside Aesthetics. So basically again.
1: it's yeah. like a, it's a patch that you put on the skin that oxygenates Oxygenates the area, right? That's that. That's how it works. How, how successful do you find yes. those things?
3: Well, we haven't. Um, I'm going to knock on knock on a bookshelf or n- knock on a shoe shelf.
2: Yeah, uh, <laughs> we,
3: we haven't had to use them in our practice yeah. um, for uh, a, a, you know our patients because everybody who's come in, we be, we were able to reverse it and not get necrosis. Um, but if you have pending necrosis, and they get to the pustule phase and it's starting to break down. I think you know they'll overnight it to us. Uh, and they will um, deliver it. Um, by the next day, you get it you know nine in the morning and to get the patient in there and, and teach them how to put it on. Super easy. And the the pump itself is the size of a, an iPhone pro. So um, it's convenient. They could put it on a in a backpack or a fanny pack and just go about their business. Right. Um, but we haven't had to use it for a vascular uh, event yet, but we did recently have to use it for a medication error that um that damaged um some of the the skin um and that was really really alarming um for us because i never thought this would happen um and i'm going to do a post on this soon um but i I did have to call a couple weeks ago while i was in dallas um uh, i got a text from one of another one of my nurses who said that she accidentally grabbed sodium bicarb instead of lidocaine or xylocaine. Um, the, both of the labels are blue and they're same size vials and they're lookalikes. And we don't use bicarb generally, so it wasn't even on her radar um, because it's not something that we usually... But for some reason that day, somebody um, put it next to the, the xylocaine and... So one mil got injected, um, for, um, a lower lip block on each side. And she showed me the, uh, she showed me that I know we're veering off of the tongue, but she showed me the pictures and said, is that bruising? And I said, no, that's not bruising. You know, we need to go through our protocol with medication, um, uh, errors and we need to, you know, tell the patient, have her come back. Um, we're going to, you know, do all the things. So. I, and then since that, I was in Dallas at Aesthetic Next. I asked the question to uh, the big group, to an anesthesiologist, and three other people came up to me afterward and said they did the same thing. So that made me feel a little bit better, um, but, and they didn't, their patients didn't suffer necrosis, just an injury because it's too alkaline for the tissues to be happy. So I will say that EO2, um, the, first day she put it on, it was so pretty and so brilliant. Uh, it was so much better. I'd say 50% lighter because it was bright red patches where the, where the bicarb went. And the third day it was nearly gone. You couldn't even see it. And the pain reduced. So I do believe in these little patches. Uh, and I think as time goes on, they're going to get even better. Uh, and I think it's uh, for a lot of people, a lot more sensible to use these patches than to uh, go into a tank um at a at a center
0: yeah if if our listeners are are wondering we don't have these in australia but it's like a applicable patch that basically highly oxygenates that tissue that's suffering to try and salvage it or save it and and it seems to have some decent anecdotal results Mm -hmm.
1: So getting back to the, the tongue patient, so day three
0: mm-hmm.
1: comes around, you use the winer technique. Um, that the last, I think that was the last thing that you said you did and that seemed to almost clear all of the issues up. And so what happens from there? Like what happened to the patient? How did you sort of resolve that or, or sort of finalise that situation? And then also with that nurse, like what as a business owner and as a mentor and, and teacher what what did you do then to sort of reconcile that with her to kind of obviously she's probably pretty traumatized by the whole situation especially once the adrenaline has gone and the patient's fine probably has a chance to then all that stress probably catches up with you and it can be quite overwhelming so how do you sort of deal with those two things a the patient then and also your, your injector because I would assume her confidence will be knocked around as well and there might be a bit of you know, <laughs> a bit of a mess to clean up there. So just walk us through that.
2: Yeah. Um,
3: I, again, I, I think anytime you have your first major event, um, with your patient or even a minor, when it feels major, uh, you're going to be emotionally shook, shaken up. Um, and she was, but she also handled it really well on the surface. Uh, and the patient couldn't have been any more cool than she was. Uh, and the patient was very understanding, and she was so good about follow-up. Uh, so what we're doing, to, what really helped the process is I said, hey, the patient is cool with us um, publishing this, um, uh, and so let's write it up. Let's do a paper together uh, so that we can get this out there for other people to learn. And the patient was so excited that something bad that happened to her might help prevent or, or help save somebody else's tongue. Uh, and also to publish, um, you know, about this median perforating canal that is this little hole inside um, of some people's um, mandible. Uh, get that out there, too. Uh, so she was excited. The patient was excited to be published and to be written about and to be um, out there for education purposes. And the, it gave going over everything and writing it down in paper format and APA format, I think was really healing for, for the injector as well. Cause she was able to go through every little thing, step-by-step, step, watch the video again and say, what would I have done differently? Um, and there really wasn't a lot she would have done differently. So you know, I, I think it was a really good process. Plus it's kind of like ripping the bandaid off because the next one <laughs> she sees, it, she won't be so afraid. She's like, well, this isn't like a half a tongue or anything. <laughs> it's <laughs> true.
1: Know? Yeah. And, and, and do you think it's changed her as an injector? Do you think that this sort of situation has changed the way that she approaches treatment or yeah. What, what's been the, the upshot of this in terms of her, her career and the way she approaches patients now, or is it still the same?
3: I think, I think it gave her some stripes. Yeah. Uh, I think she feels more experienced now um, because she was able to get her hands on and reverse it um, without me being physically right there. Uh, it's kind of like the training wheels came off the bike. Um, and I think she has more confidence now. Uh, she's really taken a deep dive in anatomy. She sort of did what I did when I had my injury on my face, right? You, you, you say, hey, do I want to learn more now, or do I want to go do something else? Uh, and I'm happy that she chose, uh, to learn more, learn from it and, um, and not be embarrassed. And she's like, she's going to publish this paper with me. She's going to write it up and she's doesn't care if her name's out there. The person who did it because she's not ashamed, you know, she didn't do anything wrong. It just happened. Uh, so I'm, I'm really proud of her with that, but I do think, the first few, she, she said, she's a little nervous on the first chin. She got back on the horse. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, of course that's going to happen, but she did it. And, um, now she's really good at uh, ultrasound and (laughs) looking at chins with an ultrasound is like second nature. So yeah, I think, I think it's okay because you learn from it and, um, and again, I, it was so great to have a wonderful patient yeah. and same with the med air. The med air was a wonderful patient who's a nurse and we're, how do you handle it with a patient? So you, you take care of them. You don't leave them. You do nice things for them. Um, you really communicate with them, uh, very often, maybe not every day. Cause you'll be a, you know, a pain in the butt, but, but just don't let them be far from your mind yeah. and show them you care. Um, and and I think that's the biggest thing we could do: is show we care. And it's not just about you're not reacting; you're pro, you're proactive with their care. And I think that will set you apart from people that are just doing it for money, because that's not why we're doing it. We well, the money's nice, you know, to not be in the um, in the red. But but we're doing it to to help the patient. And I think they need to know that.
0: I am. Um... Well, I think my first vascular occlusion was a similar. It was either an ascending mental artery or a submental artery. You never know because this was before ultrasound. But I learned from that that not just you know consenting and and being upfront with your patient, but warning them almost immediately when when the emergency protocol kicks in that this is going to be a few days, maybe even a week of back and forth. So they mentally prep for a fucked up week, to be completely honest, where they might need to explain to their husband if they haven't already told him that she's had some fillers (laughs) and they might need to check in with work. And, you know, that um, thing with the girls might be cancelled because if you you sort of drip feed them information and, and are not completely upfront with what the next few days is going to look like, they get pissed off. They feel like you're withholding and, um, you know, they sort of lose a bit of trust in you because it looks like you don't know what's going to happen. Whereas if you predict, okay, for the next three days, just like Julie said, we've got a window, but you're going to be back and forth, multiple injections, maybe some led lights to clear up the bruising and maybe some topical therapies, antibiotics, who knows? I think it's really important to, to be honest with people because then they feel like, oh, okay, well, as crap as, as this is, this guy knows what he's doing, yeah. and that's the plan. I, I know what's going to happen now. Um, so that, that's an important takeaway, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've seen videos of the patient's tongue. It looked pretty um, full on for that couple of days. Um, I mean, are you able to do anything topically or to clean the tongue? or I don't know. It looked yeah. pretty um, you know, unsightly and, and pretty scary for the patient.
3: Oh man. Yeah. I mean, you know, you put her on, we put her on, um, a- um, antibiotic therapy and, um, and, um, oral steroids. And, uh, of course she got thrush. So now she's got this fuzzy white tongue. Yes. You would expect that. Right. So we had, um, uh, hypochlorous acid, uh, mouthwashes plus, um, my husband called in a, a thrush type of wash as well. I don't remember exactly which one. Um, and, and, you know, so she did have some mouthwashes, uh, just to get the, you know, the flora out of there and to help with that. Um, you could also probably do a if, if you want, but, but yeah, that was kind of, um, a, you know, pain, but the, I think the, the biggest problem she had was it, you know, was still kind of numb. And when she talked, she couldn't talk right you know, Cause she was like, tripping over her words. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're, she's a business owner and a business woman. So it was hard for her to communicate with people. She communicates with in her family. Uh, and, but they were all so supportive uh, over her and her recovery, but yeah, not talking well is, is, is a tough one. And then of course the ear pain and the job um, pain yeah, was, was really kind of annoying.
1: Yeah. I think it's, it's really admirable and, Invaluable that yourself and this nurse have embraced this complication so openly and have used it as a opportunity to improve your own internal practices and protocols, but also to share that with our community. And I think that you know, not just in this industry, but whenever you make a mistake in life, there always is the temptation to try and bury it, not talk about it, pretend it didn't happen, and that might be the easier way to go, but it's never going to make you grow. Like it's all, if you make a mistake or something happens, even if you didn't do anything wrong, something bad happened at, you know, under your watch or by your hands, that if you mm-hmm. don't embrace it and you don't use it as an opportunity to see what could have been done better or how you can improve a protocol or how you can help everyone else that's in that, in that world, you're kind of missing an opportunity, I think. And it's kind of, and in some ways very selfish and and it can be difficult to do because you're putting yourself out there, you know, cause we live in a world where, unfortunately, a lot of people take pleasure in other people's misfortunes and mistakes, <laughs> which is kind of sad. Um, but I just wanted to say, like, I think that's you know it's really admirable what you guys done and how you've been so open um, to share it and, and talk about. It. I mean, we've, you know, this is going to be heard by <laughs> you know tens of thousands of people, and, and you know, you've already got a big profile yourself. But I just wanted to say, I think that it's um, really admirable the way you guys dealt with it and how open you've been about it. Oh,
3: thank you. And I want to add to that is the patient literally said to us. I feel more confident going to you guys cause you know how to handle these mm-hmm. when they happen. Yeah. Um, and even if I'm not there, like I wasn't this time, my team of, you know, eight beautiful, wonderful people, um, great injectors, they all pitched in and had this patient, you know, they, they took really good care of her. And that said, she said, I would never go anywhere else. So, yeah. so to give that gift, of uh, confidence in the team it warms my heart and to for her to say hey i i want this to be out there so other people it doesn't happen to them um that's just really really a great gift Um, but i don't think we should ever be embarrassed to talk about things that happen and that's why i mentioned the dressings and the medication error not to say hey you know uh you know, we suck and there's complications happening out of our office. Well, guess what? There are complications happening out of everybody's office. You just have to be brave enough to say, hey, um, this happens sometimes. We're, we're not robots. We are human beings. Um, and this is an opportunity for people to look through their you know, for the medication, area. look through your cupboard, see if there's any lookalikes, separate them and have a meeting about it. These, you know, how many calls I get about people saying, oh my God, I reached for the Hylinex for this um, lip VO and it was Disport." Yeah. Because Disport looks exactly like Hylinex. Oh, yeah. really? Green writing. Yes. Yeah. So so many people put a whole vial of Discord oh, sh- in the mouth area.
2: Oh my god. And that's
3: a long complication. And I probably have like twelve <laughs> different injectors that have called yeah. me with this one.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, so I always separate the X with the Dysport um, yeah. in our refrigerator and I put Hyalinex in a big box that says Hyalinex so that it doesn't happen. Right. But I never climbed to the fact that the bicarb and the xylocaine have the same vials
2: yeah, um,
3: until this. Right. And so now a patient's cool. She wants me to put it out there. Yeah. It's embarrassing. We've had two in this year, two um, injuries in this year, but you know what, if we don't put it out, Who's going to learn from
1: it? Yeah. These things happen all the time in general medicine. You hear about these things happening in hospitals. Someone goes in for, you know, an amputation and the wrong leg guts get got. That happened here like a while ago. Someone got the wrong leg cut off. Oh,
2: it's horrible.
1: Um, But these things happen in medicine. It's just because we're in cosmetics, it gets so much attention and it gets so much scrutiny it's, it's kind of a little bit unfair in yeah. some respects because people just feel like they're just being targeted and you just got a constant, you know, you're in the crosshairs of either the media or a regulator or your colleagues are going to jump on you. Mm. And it's like, yes, if you're being silly, you're not taking proper protocols, you know, you, you're acting in a way that's not <laughs> not correct and fair
0: enough. But, I mean,
1: mistakes happen. As you yeah. said we are human beings and I do feel that we do get a lot of unfair scrutiny because of the industry.
0: Yeah. I mean, because there are a lot of independent solo injectors yeah. around the world and, you know, maybe less eyes on what's going on behind the scenes, yeah. maybe less compliance, maybe maybe they're not checking their cupboard for yeah. expired stock and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Then I think that that criticism yes. is fair, yeah. whereas I'm sure Julie's running a pretty strict, um, you know, ship. And, and sometimes these things just happen it's it's human nature right
1: well if you've got eight injectors are they all on every day together at the same time
3: no no um usually there is between three and four uh, per day
1: three so you'd be doing what at least 30 to 40 treatments per day so mm-hmm. like cup you know two or three hundred procedures per. per yeah. two to three hundred procedures a lot of volume, per week a lot of stock that's you yeah. know you can be the most careful driver I mean, in the world look One. at it like
3: that that's yeah. pretty good odds right that we only had two last year or yeah. this
2: year yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, but
3: so far, I mean, the year's not over, but um, but yeah, I think it, they're doing a great job. Um, before this tongue case, I'm the only injector in the entire office that had a vascular occlusion wow. accident. Um, you know, not well, not no, that's not true. Another person had a chin issue too, but we resolved it. It was fine. Um, it wasn't the tongue; it was a little less scary. Um, but yeah, before the chin, the other chin. I was the only one, and I thought, "Why is it always me?" Like, (laughs) you know, and and my needle was always moving, and it was always tiny amounts. And I've never had one with an aliquot or bolus anywhere. It's always with my needle moving, and always tiny amounts. So I thought, and then one of my uh, nurse teammates said, "Julie, I think it's because you're you're diagnosing them, you're seeing it like." like people don't maybe always see it and it just resolves on its own. Mm. And I think she's right. I think people go home with vascular occlusions. The patient assumes it's a bruise, but there's collateral circulation. So it never gets picked up. Uh, and so if you, I always say like when somebody says, Oh, I've never had a vascular occlusion. I say right after that, you know, of, yeah. that you know, of," because yeah. how many do you think that we've had that we don't know about? I think it's a lot. How, how much filler is put in veins? I think it's a lot. We get away with the veins for most for the most part, you know, unless it's in an area of uh, swelling, you know? Um, but yeah, I think I see it all the time when I'm scanning faces. Now I'll see um, somebody, had cheek of filler and I could see this vein of uh lift going up her temple. And she goes, what's this rope here? <laughs> it was filler going up in a vein just going up and just she goes it's been a year it's just sitting here it's been a year so I it's on the patreon I, I reversed it and then you know it cleared and her the tension in her head went away no more headaches and then she got a black eye and interestingly um, for my poke to clear that yeah but That's a vein. Yeah. So I think we just don't diagnose
0: them. Yeah. That's interesting. What do you think? Do you reckon there's a lot of undiagnosed stuff, Joe? hundred percent. I mean, we referenced in our last podcast with Julie, um, Professor Sebastian Cotofana did a post, um, well, yesterday when we were recording this and lots of heated debate about, you know, occlusions and aspiration and moving needles and stuff. And I think you said yourself just now, Julie, your five um, VOs have all been from moving your needle Whereas, you know, some of the, uh, well, biggest um, personalities here in Australia have been advocating for the moving needle technique versus uh, a static needle when aspirating. And to be honest, I think you can criticise either. Go ahead. Um, But I I agree. and In fact, I left a comment on that post and I referenced you, Julie, because I think that we probably do have subclinical VOs all the time. You know, if you bruise someone... By definition, you've gone into a vessel and caused a leakage of blood. So you were in the vessel at some point. And how do you know how much filler went into that vessel at the same time as you made it bleed? We don't know. Um, but most of these things don't turn out to be an ulcer or, a, or an evolving vascular occlusion. But probably that we, we get subclinical VOs all the time. We just don't know it. So uh, Blissfully unaware. Yeah,
3: I agree.
0: <laughs> yeah, well... I don't know if we're unaware. It's more yeah. just the probability of it evolving to something bad is rare. So we accept that risk. Yeah. Otherwise, we'd see a lot of um, suffering people, and we don't. It's just not the reality.
3: Now, I think patient history really matters. So, I mean, is as as your patient a smoker? I think they're more likely to have that choke phenomenon that I saw. And, you know, if I'm doing retrograde threads in um, in the subdermal layer, uh, you wouldn't expect all the VOs but to happen, but those are – what happened to five of my patients they were all subdermal threads one was with a cannula and four were with a needle um two of them were sculptra um and the cheek and it it really we just need to know that they can happen tiny bits can irritate the vessels cause them to choke or tiny bits can cause trouble some way or another um so we we shouldn't have that like you said earlier false sense of security um ever when we're injecting, we should we need to keep our eyes open for the for the signs
0: of it. Yeah. Um we sort of touched on what vessel you think was affected, but we didn't really go into the anatomy of how the tongue is related to the external um circulation. So you've you're gonna write a paper on it, but just explain to the listeners who are a bit confused, what what do you think's happened? And then how did you go you call it fishing for red uh, when you're looking for the facial artery. How did you go about treating it?
3: So uh, at the time, um, you know, when I got home and evaluated the ultrasound in in person, not just a, a video that was emailed to me, um, I could see that there was definitely a foramen, and on ultrasound, the foramen looks like this little trap door mm-hmm. um, that switches down, and you could see the artery coming from below and coming up. Right, so I, when I came back, I was like, "There's a foramen there," um, and you can see it clear as day on the videos that that I posted. Uh, so that foramen, um, Dr. Leslie Gersman replied and said that could that looks like a median perforating canal and I was like I've heard of a median perforating canal but nobody talks about this and I did a little research and I was like oh my gosh she's right that's what this is and then I dived in a little bit further and apparently they're rare but since this chin injury I have Um, scanned almost everybody's chin I've seen it five more times five more people I've seen this hole in the middle of their chin so um, I know that that you can't you know probably see on, on the pod but anyway right there in the middle so I'm bearing off with what you asked. What did you ask me again? Well,
0: I mean, I guess my question is we don't normally have that connection, or maybe we do and we just don't know it, but normally... So the
3: median perforating canal is a direct, um, a many times direct uh, into the sublingual uh, right. artery. Right. So that sublingual artery can come out and come through the hole in your chin and to the other side. So... That's what this patient had. I'm I'm concerned. I'm I'm totally convinced of that. Yeah. Um interestingly, after she healed, she came in, I scanned her again, and you could see the foramen there, but there is no longer a uh there's no longer an artery going through that foramen.
2: Yeah. Okay.
3: So that artery is gone. It's it never returned its toast.
0: Interesting. But I guess that's proof that normally the the or the tongue is supplied by Um, a branch from the external carotid it it normally just comes off its own artery it's not normally connected you know through the chin so it just proves how variable these things are and you know um,
3: yeah and some papers said that you know it can also the lingual sublingual can be um, tied to the facial artery as well and these um, submental artery Uh, so uh, we, that's why our rationale for trying to get into all of those arteries in the lumen, um, I think was sound and it, and it worked, you know, so we got into the facial artery, we put pressure here so that it would go backward. Yep. So yeah. got into the facial artery here and um, uh, with ultrasound guidance. So we could see it was our not the vein, you know, cause it goes um, vein and then artery. So got into the artery um, and then we, Um, You know, put pressure above it, so it would go down. Uh, Then they got into the uh, ascending submentals as well. Uh, They tried to get into the center. I don't think they did because that artery is not there anymore. Mm. Uh, And then they did, like I said, a little bit on the floor of the mouth uh, and um, a couple of vials into the tongue itself. And and that cleared it, and the facial artery. So uh, my technique is basically flood with... um, lidocaine so it's comfortable and it vasodilates with a cannula, then go on with a needle after a few minutes and start fishing for red. So you do negative pressure on the um, plunger. So having an aspirator tool helps you. Mm-hmm. And once your needle bevel goes underneath the skin, you 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 go into the area you think that artery is and until you get a red flash and then you push the hyaluronidase immediately so before you move again. So you stay in there and try to clear it.
0: So to be clear, you think you are able to cannulate the facial artery with a needle using the fishing for red? That's really yeah, that's really is. interesting. I, I mean I've never done it, but I was I had this chat just a week ago. I was in Singapore at a cadaver course and the plastic surgeon was teaching us and we were talking about occlusions and blindness and they were asking us what strategies might you come up with and I, I told him exactly that because I'd learned from you. And he said, no, 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 it's not possible. The facial artery is too um, torturous, and if you touch it, it will spasm. And I said, I'm telling you now, it's been done. It it it, it worked. Julie, Jubilant Julie did this, and it will be published. So it's really good that we get that information mm. out there, because some people were teaching it's not possible. I don't know how people
3: can... Oh, my really, God, it's yeah. so possible. Yeah. If in any of the arteries, You could, if you can get into an artery with filler, you can get into an artery with, with a reversal. Right. It, Exactly. It doesn't make any sense. And, y- and yeah. you,
0: you're almost using the principle of what we're trying to do when we're avoiding uh, obstructing an artery. But this time you're using the same principle to get in it, you know? But you're just. Yeah, it's just like
3: just... starting an IV, right? You know, um, <laughs> we know how to do that. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it, it is counterintuitive a little bit, but it, it's so logical, right? If you've got, if you have an embolism, you have an obstruction um, really blocking blood flow to an area, it, why not go it directly into it? Um, we, we know carpet bombing works a little bit, probably because it vasodilates a little bit. We don't really know how much crosses a live membrane. Um, you know, uh, the De Renzi studies were done with cadavers, which, you know, things change when you die. You don't, they're a lot stronger <laughs> when you're alive. So,
2: <laughs> yes. so, uh,
3: you know, is, is, <laughs> yeah. is all we used to do. And, and about three years ago, when we had that one, I told you about with half of her face was blue and mottled. Her whole nose was purple. That's when it occurred to me, let's try to get in that facial artery. Yeah, And it worked. And I'm telling you, um, sometimes it, a butterfly, you could just stick a butterfly in there, tape it to the skin. And all you got to do is just keep putting it into the tubing, you know, and just watching it. But we saw the nose go from purple to pink after we got into that, yeah. um, artery. So yeah, d- you know, it is a little challenging to get into there. Um, it's not easy and it's, you know, maybe uncomfortable for the patient a little bit, but, but you can do it. Um, I taught that to Steve Yolan, and he's been teaching it to people too. And he's seen, you know, dozens of people, I think, um, that he's helped, uh, clear the problem. Um, I have helped a lot, um, a lot of people, um, and it
2: just works. Yeah.
3: If, if you don't have an ultrasound, it's a way to, to find that artery without guidance, without seeing it. Cause just when you see that red, that hub turn red, um, you know, you know you're in. Of course you could be in a vein, might not do anything, but you just keep trying.
0: Yeah. knock knock on wood. Um haven't had a blindness case yet and, and I hope I never will. But if it ever happened, um I, I think I would do that. I would try to find the facial artery. I would make up probably three thousand units of very concentrated highlays, and just do a push just to try and get some highlays you know, up into that circulation around the eye. And of course you can aim for super trochlear, yeah, super orbital, super well. trochlear. Yeah.
3: Um,
0: but you know,
3: yeah. Um, that's our first line of, um, of therapy for blindness on our protocol is what Mike Clegg did. Um, another Aussie.
2: Yes. Uh, yeah.
3: he just went into the super orbital area and just flooded hy- hyaluronidase and guess what, you know, it, it worked. Yeah. Uh, so he's the only person I know that's ever, um, you know, at least got partial uh, vision back, um, but I, I think it's brilliant. Uh, so retrobulbar, I don't think there's any proven cases, right? There's nothing, there's zero. Um, people do it, but if you, if I'm going to stick a cannula, um, but underneath the, you know, behind the eyeball, that's really not in my scope of practice. But stick, you know, trying to um, reverse a, in a inside of a vessel, I believe is. Uh, so our protocol is try to do what mike Clegg did uh, and try to cannulate the supertrochlear superorbital arteries yeah and um and there's research too showing if putting it you know under the orbit around it here but yeah you could get bruising you could you know have a hematoma that would be a drag but you you i think it's perfectly um, it makes a lot of sense to try to get into that the shortest distance to the back of the I would be that super orbital, super 100%. But yeah. Why not try the facial artery too? It's pretty easy to get in. Yeah. Um, try it all. Wow. Do what we did with the tongue. You know, we're just hitting all of them. We were hitting submental, mental, we we're hitting facial... The tongue itself, the floor of the tongue, we just put it everywhere and and it worked
2: yeah
0: just yeah. just to finish off, maybe just some sort of general things about vascular occlusions. um we sort of came up in our last podcast, but um let's just sort of go over it again. It's more relevant now. Do you think it's actual well, obviously we've already said it probably is an occlusion of a vessel, but do you believe it can be an external compression, a spasm, all of the above what What's your take on it?
3: yeah. I think all of the above, uh, I think especially nasal tip, uh, very often could be compressed. Um, not always, um, of course, but yeah, I think there's some areas that are more prone to compression. I think periorbital, um, you know, veins, even just compressing on a vein can cause severe malar edema. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, I think compression is a, is uh, something to consider and spasm. Um, absolutely. I think it's just, um, we're just still learning about it, but it's the only thing that explains tiny amounts causing calamity. Yeah. You know, so- just a tiny little bit in the lumen would cause, and it makes sense, right? Cause it's your body's way of protecting your brain from a stroke. You know, it's going to shut down if something's in the vessel wall. Yeah. It's going to go like, don't come in here. Um, and if you happen to be a smoker with very poor circulation already, you got double trouble. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that, that that's a big thing. And sometimes maybe it's a combination of both. You have spasm plus you have an embolism.
0: Yeah. For, we've got obviously lots of, um, listeners who are maybe earlier in their career and th- this stuff terrifies them that they, they hope they never get an occlusion and, yeah you know, sadly the more you do the more likely it is to happen so what advice would you give to you know those newer injectors who've not seen one what what equipment should they have in their clinic we've already discussed how much X or hyalinase you might want to have and you know what protocol should they be following is it the de is it you know the one that they're prescribing doctor tells them because it, you know, you ask 100 injectors and you get 99 answers as to what to do you
3: probably get 300 answers.
0: Oh, yeah, exactly. you probably get more. So what do you, what's the sort of the survival kit for your first VO? What should, what should people
3: have in their clinic? You know, Yvonne Delos um, has an aesthetic ER. She has a, a course and a kit that comes with the course. Mm. I tell them to just go online and, and take her course and get the kit. Uh, it's the best money a new injector could ever spend. I have one in each clinic. I love it. Uh, she thought of everything, uh, and she even has a little um, occlusion um, protocol in there. So it it's it's one of those things that you have to be prepared and run the drills uh, in your office just so you're you can know it by heart uh you're not going to sit there and read a two-page protocol when you're when you're in crisis and your patient's in crisis you really need to know your stuff and i think the only way to do that is education maybe watch some you know subscribe to some patreon people that are all about um, safety uh and just educate yourself as much as you can and your team Um, if your medical director does not know you know um (laughs) H.A. from Sculptra, then you don't have the right medical director, period. (laughs) You know, I don't care if they're $100 a month and that's who you could get. They're cheap. Get somebody that knows their stuff because when the chips are down and you're an RN, you can't diagnose or treat and they don't know what the heck they're doing.
2: You're screwed. Such a good point. Um,
3: They'll get sued. You'll get sued. Nobody's going to be happy, especially the patients. So um, have a knowledgeable team all around you. And I can't say that enough. um, And just uh, have you know, protocols change. So don't be static. Don't say, Hey, I bought a Vondello's kit. Um, here's a protocol. I'm good for another 10 years. No, because every year we're learning more stuff. I mean, we just learned about choke. We just learned about variant anatomy. So it, nobody seems to know that there's zero to five zygomatic facial fragments, uh, by, you know, by the way. So we're learning every year we're learning more and more and more. So don't be static in this, don't be complacent. Don't say, yeah, hey, we got a protocol. We're good. No, keep researching. Keep learning. Um, so I say that to new and old people like me. So <laughs> never stop learning.
0: hundred percent That was great advice. Lots to on my own. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. I've got one more, I guess, sort of logistical question. And maybe this didn't happen with your patient, but let's say they were angry or a little bit fractious in that sort of dissolving process where things sort of get a little bit more heated where do you stand with things like refunds or apologies or I don't know um transfer of care to someone else
3: oh yeah the money thing um yeah that's I'm so glad you asked because a lot of people don't do what we do and I wish everybody did I first of all apologize right away because you know, you, nobody expects to go and you expect to go in and get a nice, pretty outcome and walk out look, feeling better, looking better. And all of a sudden you've got a horrible thing happening. It's going to affect the rest of the week, at least at the very least. Right. So we need to apologize. We need to take responsibility and we need to hug them and say, I'm so sorry, but I got this. I, I'm going to help you. I'm going to get you through this. Um, we're going to get to know each other really well. It's going to be a few days, um, maybe even longer, but I got you. I'm not letting you go. And we got this. You know, our team has you be that way. Don't be just like, oh, you're fine. You're fine. And then underneath you going, oh shit, you know, you, you got to you got to be real and, and be compassionate and care. Um, and and then don't, like, send them to the desk to pay for it. Like, that's insane. I, I can't imagine, like, saying to our tongue patient, okay, so um, that's $900 for that syringe of Velux, please. Like, what? Uh, no, no. I bought that Velux. I, I don't want her paying $900. Um, so... No, don't let them pay for anything. In fact, I will, I will reimburse them if they have to see the dentist, if they have to see a dermatologist, if they have to see a wound care specialist. I'm like, please save your bills and send them to me. I'm going to be reimbursing you for any out-of-pocket expenses that has to do with what happened. Mm-hmm. I got you. And I don't mean I got you just emotionally. Uh, we got you. Our team has you. And you're not going to pay a penny. I wish we all did that. Hyperbaric oxygen, all the hyalinex, you're not going to charge them for that. Um, so like I said, if you treat them well, they they are your patient for life because they don't won't trust anybody else and that's the way it should be. But if they're angry, Hey, you know what? That's the stage of grief and it's normal. Uh, I don't know why our tongue patient didn't really get there. I think it's because she felt so loved and cared for, but If she did get there, I'd say, you know what? I get it. This is a stage of grief. I went through it, too, with my injury. You know, first denial, I did that. And then anger. I wanted to sue the makers of Radius. I was so angry. That's normal. I'm glad I didn't. Um, You know, I just decided to focus on healing. But but people get angry? That's normal. Um, It's absolutely, you know, yeah, it's weird if they don't really. Um, medication errors, same thing. You know, they're going to be angry right off the bat because like, what the heck? Didn't you do the five checks? Didn't you? What, what the heck? You just got to admit it, admit it right away and fix it. Don't charge them.
1: I agree with everything that you said. However, I will add to that just from a business person's perspective and someone that's owned clinics and had multiple letters from lawyers and Claims for things that staff of mine have done over the years. And I would say yes to everything that you've said. And just like you have a protocol for medical emergencies, you need to have a protocol in place from a business perspective. And that would mean having an understanding from your insurer how they would like you to handle this kind of situation before it comes up. Because at the end of the day, I'm not sure how it works in the United States, but they're the ones that go in and If someone tries to come after you legally, they're the ones that are going to defend you. They're going to come up with their own legal strategy. So you want to be fully aware of how your insurance company and you are going to work together to resolve this so that they're not going to try and say, well, you did this, therefore, we're no longer going to cover your policy, which can happen. Um, And number two, um, you need to have a relationship with a a lawyer. You need, this is just part of your support team. So you You have a prescribing doctor. You have an insurance company, you have a lawyer, you have an accountant. These are all the people that are going to support the back end of your business. So when the shit hits the fan and you have a complication like this, as Julie said, having all these protocols planned out and know exactly what your team's going to do and practice them and rehearse them, you need to understand from a business perspective how you're going to handle this because certain things that you say and do at the time, putting omissions in writing, saying, and every situation is going to be different, but you need to have advice from a lawyer and your insurer so that when this situation happens, you know exactly what to do so that you can do what you said from a medical perspective, but you're also not putting yourself in a position where someone's going to effectively not cover your policy or sue the pants off you because something you did was just a mistake in the heat of the moment and everyone's panicking. So that'll be my only piece of advice is to do your due diligence from both a medical and a business slash medical legal perspective.
0: And document the crap out of what everyone said, what <coughs> you did, photos, videos, Julie's done it all, but you know, just, you know, cause things get missed or mistranslated and it's just good to, to have that, um, timely yeah. uh, notes, which yeah. I know injectors are pretty poor at. They tend to leave it till the end of the day and they're trying to, I, I don't know how they do it. I have to do it between each patient. No,
1: well, just contemporaneous notes. I mean, we've had, lawyers on here before that specialize in suing doctors and nurses and they've given us some pretty interesting information around, you know, if you get something wrong on your notes, like if you get the age of a patient wrong, if a lawyer's looking for a way to get money out of you and they find something in your notes that doesn't add up, you exploit that and you know the example was that if you can't even remember the name of the age of your patient how do you know anything else written is correct and so that's especially in the United States right you guys are the most litigious cu- country in the world and closely followed <laughs> closely followed by Australia so you know it is unfortunately you, you've got to try and balance taking care of the patient but also making sure you're Dotting your I's, crossing your T's, and you're actually prepared for this situation from a 360 degree perspective.
0: Definitely. Well, did, you have any, did you have anything to add to that, Julie? <laughs>
1: Sorry.
3: I think it's even worse in some states than yeah. others. Um, you know, in California, we had private investigators coming into offices asking yeah. for Latisse and arresting nurses who sold the Latisse. Um, it's it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course it's a prescription and it needs to have a prescription. But um, you know, it, it's it's bad. Or a nurse just saying a dose of yeah. uh, toxins, like um, okay, so um, we're gonna draw forty five units. Okay, well now you just uh, you're a nurse who just uh, prescribed, so you're under arrest. That kind of stuff is happening in some states and not in others. In other states. Um, it's totally wild west. So I happen to have a business in California, which is a really tough state. So you have to know the laws. You have to have, like you said, have an attorney, have a team and and be in really good contact with your insurer. Uh, And make sure, yeah, make sure everything is as it should be, your policies and procedures, uh, an OSHA visit, uh, you know, I think it'd be great to hire an OSHA person, um, to, to be an injector so that they can really look at everything with a fine tooth comb too. Um, because that it's scary, you know, I don't, I don't want to be caught with our pants down. I want to, yeah. It's a lot to think about um, having a business. Yeah all these things are important yeah and you don't know, just you you have to wear those legal hats too sadly
0: of course
1: yeah that's
3: the way the world is
0: yeah so o- osha is that the health authority who are they
3: yeah right. yeah the um occupational health and safety
0: i thought you saying oh shit <laughs> <But>
3: yeah <laughs> i never thought about that oh my god i love it Oh, shit is here. Oh, oh no. Oh,
2: shit authority. Oh, that's
3: bad. <laughs> oh, yeah, but that's what it's... Yeah, that's exactly what I would say. Ugh. Wow. Um, but, yeah, you got to be careful.
0: Yeah, you do. Well, Julie, we... Have really appreciated your time. That was a fascinating story and a, a, you know a rare one that we can all learn from. Um, so again, if we if we can have the um, consent to maybe show some of the anatomy and, and maybe even the videos to, yeah, to patrons, that will awesome. be such good um, education for everyone. Yeah.
1: And speaking of education, um, when this podcast comes out, we'll obviously detail how people can subscribe to your Patreon and start learning and being part of your community. So happy to support you there. And yes. um, yeah, so much, uh, so much so much to learn and i think as you said we, we don't know what we don't know right and so we're just really at the Which beginning is a lot yeah so that's why these <laughs> conversations are so important and
3: yeah none of us know everything and if we do then um we probably need to go see a therapist because we have narcissistic <laughs> personality disorder and we probably need help
1: if you're the smartest person in the room it's time to change rooms
3: yeah <laughs> thank you so much and i uh, look for me on your patreon too
0: thanks julie can't wait to have
3: I'm you see you soon. To
0: take care bye-bye for our latest news, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. If you want to get in touch with myself or David, follow us on Instagram as well at Dr. Jake Sloan and David underscore Inside Aesthetics. Join our IA Patreon platform for invaluable business and injectable
1: education. Get access to our global community of like minded professionals, live and interactive Zoom sessions, hints and tip videos, webinars, and more. Head over to www.insideaesthetics.com
2: forward slash Patreon for more information.